0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you
1: did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Bill Hemmer. I'm Janice Dean. I'm Juan Williams, and this is the Fox News Rundown.
0: Tuesday, June 28th, 2022. I'm Dave Anthony. It's another major ruling from the Supreme Court siding with a football coach sidelined by a high school for praying on the field after games.
2: It viewed this as the speech of an individual, not something that involves government speech.
3: I'm Chris Foster. Supreme Court's decision on abortion could affect some primary elections
4: and what happens in the midterms. I think the abortion test is going to be interesting because Republicans are certainly risking. They, they could squander some of that that newfound advantage depending on how they position themselves on, on abortion rights going forward.
1: And I'm Mark Thiessen. I've got the final word on the Fox
0: News rundown. It's the biggest win of Joe Kennedy's career and it came nowhere near a football field. The now ex-coach scored a victory at the Supreme Court. I just can't stop smiling, and, you know, thank God and thank everybody that supported me, and I I found out that I'm not insane. That's what Kennedy told Fox right after the court in a 6-3 decision ruled his constitutional rights were violated when Bremerton High School in Washington State put him on paid leave and then did not renew his contract. Because Kennedy would kneel in prayer at the 50-yard line after games, and some players joined him. It just proves that, you know, this is America, and the First Amendment
1: applies, and nobody should have to worry about, now especially, have to worry about just because
0: uh, you, you want to thank God, you can do it now. In the dissent, Justice Sonia Sotomayor wrote, This ruling sets us further down a perilous path, forcing states to entangle themselves with religion. This is a major win for religious freedom and specifically the free exercise of religion. Jonathan Turley is a constitutional scholar, professor at George Washington School of Law and a Fox News contributor.
2: The court ruled that this was private speech and that the coach has a constitutional right to pray with other willing players after the game. In other words, the court said that you can't lose your right to pray simply because some might find it offensive or threatening. The dissent really got, it was quite strong in opposing that view. It said that the majority was putting the free exercise clause above the establishment clause. In other words, it was favoring the free exercise of religion and ignoring the constitutional bar on the establishment of religion. What the court said is that there is a mistake in treating these two clauses as inherently always in conflict, and that's one of the reasons why the court opted for a new approach. It viewed this as the speech of an individual, not something that involves government speech. Obviously, many people disagreed with that. One player objected and said that um, he was atheist and felt great pressure to join in the prayer. Right. And isn't and
0: that what the dissenting Justice Sotomayor's opinion did say, that it puts the rights of the coach over the player? The player is required to attend school, and and so they were sort of compelled more than the coach. So they, do you agree with her at all that the coach's rights were put above the player's rights?
2: Well, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I agree with her that this was a legitimate concern that I think that looking at the facts of this case, uh, the I could see why players would feel pressure to participate. That should be a concern for the district. Moreover, the district really did try to reach an accommodation here. They tried to talk to the coach about having the prayer in another location, uh, raising this concern that uh, this would be viewed as something that might be sanctioned by the district, the majority disagrees with that and says that there was nothing in the record that showed that there was any coercion or that people thought this was an exercise of government speech, which can be subject to greater control by the government. So what you have in the end is a very strong statement in favor of free exercise
0: and a more limiting view of the establishment clause. Now to the ruling on Friday, ending the federal legal right to abortion. Republican Congressman Jim Jordan tells Fox... The court did the right thing, and they said the Constitution means what it says, and we got a victory for life. Pro-choice advocates could not disagree more. That was outside the Supreme Court. Some activists fear the court could go after other rights next, revisiting other past decisions, like the one that legalized same-sex marriage. Justice Clarence Thomas even suggested that. I do not believe that's coming next. And the reason I don't believe it is because...
2: The other five justices went out of their way to foreclose that argument. I've actually can't remember an opinion where the court repeatedly and expressly uh, said that an argument cannot be made in future cases. The court came back to this over and over again and said that they do not believe that this ruling can be applied to areas like contraception or marriage. They, They explained that. This involves a claim of fetal life. It is a unique uh, right that has been read into the Constitution and that they do not accept that this opinion can be applied to those other areas. And, you know, this is a case where critics just won't take yes for an answer. Even Justice Thomas says that he would like to see a review of the basis of those Uh, earlier decisions, but then says, but it's clear that all of his colleagues disagree with him. He was literally the only justice uh, to even suggest reviewing those cases.
0: There is now going to be an ongoing fight in a lot of states over abortion laws, because there are bans in some states that were triggered by what the Supreme Court did on Friday. Some of these laws are old. I mean, decades old or 100 years or more old. Can they be reignited? Can they be brought back? I mean, can it, it, it seems like it's uh, every state's unique, of course, but it seems like that's another battleground here, individual state by state. It's 50 battlegrounds,
2: and that's what the court said. The court said that when Roe was handed down, it interrupted a political debate over how to deal with abortion. And the court said well have at it that 33 million americans will now decide this question not nine justices and people are likely to decide the question differently in different states now these trigger laws probably can be Upheld in in a, in banning abortion, but there's also options for the court these states to make adjustments. Many of these trigger laws are set in the future for a future date. Um, they can be delayed, they can be sped up, or the underlying law itself can be changed. The fact is, the American people have changed. When Roe v. Wade was handed down, 30 states banned all abortions except in extreme circumstances it's unlikely that we will see that today because most people supported Roe v. Wade and they support the right to abortion. What is interesting is that they also support limitations on abortion, including the type of limitation in Mississippi, that a majority of people believe that abortion can be largely curtailed after the 15th
0: week. Most of the American people are somewhere in the middle The fight over abortion medicine is another issue altogether, because you can get medication, mifepristone, that can help to uh, block the development of a fetus. How can states deal with that? Because I know the attorney general has said that they, they wanted to make sure that that was accessible nationwide. Well, I don't know if states can prevent that medication from
2: being delivered to individuals. I expect the federal government is going to support that under interstate commerce. And it's key to remember that almost 60 percent of abortions were effectively done at home through this type of medication. So even in states that ban abortion, it's very likely access to those pills will continue, as will, of course, access
0: uh, to states that allow for abortions. Many Democrats have been fearing the court's tilt to the right.
4: This court has lost legitimacy.
0: Senator Elizabeth Warren told ABC's This Week on Sunday.
4: I believe we need to get some confidence back in our court, and that means We need more justices on the United States Supreme Court.
0: Democrats also hope this issue motivates voters, and they keep the House and have enough Senate votes to pass a law to make abortion a legally protected right. The House already passed a bill like that earlier this year.
2: I'm skeptical because this opinion really speaks to the right of states to make this decision. It could very well be challenged that this is an overreach by the federal government, but also that legislation really did not come close to passing. A part of the reason is it went far beyond Roe, uh, and I'm not too sure that the drafters wanted to create something that could pass because the the bill was heavily laden with with provisions that they knew would minimize their support among not just Republicans, but conservatives and some moderates. So I doubt that could ever pass because it's, it, it was way beyond what Roe demanded. Now, whether something more moderate, like the proposal by Senators Collins and Mikulski could pass is an interesting question, but even that, could very well lead to challenges. I think that the the wiser approach for pro-choice people is to focus on uh, federalizing the access uh, to these pills that currently are used for the majority of abortions
0: in the country. Okay. There's also the renewed call... Pack the Supreme Court to add justices because this 6-3 conservative majority is untenable. They've got to do something. Get four more on there. Get four more liberals and change the way the court is. What you really hear in these voices is the
2: voice of the faithless. They have lost faith in our constitutional system. But to pack the court because it reached an opposing view. Is an outrageous attack on the rule of law, not just on this one institution.
0: What would have to happen to get four justices added? The Senate could just take action, correct? Sure. You could pass legislation to expand the court, and Congress can certainly do that. And then it would would reverse the majority, because it's up to the Congress, right? How many justices are on the court? It's not in the Supreme Court. Rather, it's not in the Constitution that there are supposed to be just nine justices
2: it is indeed up to the supreme uh, up to the congress uh, many years ago i proposed expanding the court to 17 or 19 members but that was different from these proposals that's not court packing it would occur over a very long time no president would be able to appoint a determinative number of justices what's being proposed by people like senator warren is just raw court packing, just forcing a majority to rule the way I wanted to rule. And that is something that all Americans, regardless of how you feel about abortion or these other issues, should be united uh, in opposing. You know, the, it's in our DNA that we have come to respect the Supreme Court as an institution. We may not agree with the majority of that court, but the court itself has brought stability to this country through some of our most divisive periods what these politicians are suggesting would destroy this court and would create a dangerous imbalance within
0: our constitutional system george washington school of law professor jonathan turley fox news contributor always good to talk to you thanks so much for being here my great pleasure thank you
5: Fox News Podcasts Network.
1: I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. This is Mark Teeson
3: with your Fox News commentary coming up. There are elections in eight states today, five holding primaries, two primary runoffs and one special election. Nationwide, more voters are switching to the Republican Party—a million over the last year, according to an Associated Press analysis,
4: compared to 630,000 new Democrats. Yeah, well, this is a moment in time, and just like polling, you know, these registration numbers can shift as events dictate. Fox
3: News Radio political analyst Josh Kraushar writes the National Journal's Against the Grain column. You know, I
4: think the bigger takeaway from the folks, especially people changing from Democrat to Republican in the suburbs, is it's not so much an attachment to the Republican Party, but it's a rejection of the Democratic Party and the fact that they've drifted ideologically well to the left of where the average voter is. So during the Trump years, Democrats gained a lot of registered voters across the country, especially in those suburban areas, but they've done it to themselves. They've cost themselves some of these very important voters because of their own positioning, because of where they stand on a whole range of hot button issues. So you look at the polling, it's not that the Republican Party is seen more favorably. Both parties uh, have fairly low favorability ratings, but the Democratic Party has taken a much bigger hit over the last two years. They used to be seen much more favorably than they do today. So what, if anything, is it too early to say? Is this too broad of a
3: question? What, if anything, does this abortion decision do um, in terms of people that might not have been super politically engaged, but just weren't digging what the Democrats were selling?
4: Yeah, it is the latter um, that that you, you look at a whole, especially on these cultural issues that you see everything from education to transgender issues and Democrats have given off the vibe that they are out of touch culturally with the vast majority of Americans including folks who, who used to be comfortably within the Democratic Party now I think the abortion test is going to be interesting because Republicans are certainly risking that they, they could squander some of that that newfound advantage depending on how they position themselves on, on abortion rights going forward but certainly over the last year and a half and some Underscored by the economy, by the way. I mean, the party in power has just been taking it on the chin because they're they're in charge, and, and the economy has gotten markedly worse over the last year. The inflation has gone through the roof. So those two things in combination have really hurt the Democratic Party brand. It's shown that they can squander the very sizable advantage they had coming into this administration. Yeah, um, five primaries today, uh,
3: and a runoff and a special election. Um, sticking with abortion for a minute in Colorado. There's already a campaign issue. There's a Senate race uh, where the Republicans are are trying to choose somebody to go up against Michael Bennett, the Democrat, uh, in November. Businessman Joe O'Day is a Republican who's been pro-abortion rights. State Rep. Ron Hanks has said no against all abortions. I wonder if that decision comes too late or just in time to affect
4: that race. Yeah, well, the, the Democratic Party is spending a few million dollars, at least, to help Ron Hanks, who they view as a less electable, more hard-right candidate in that primary. Look, th- That's the fear that Republicans have, that the base may want candidates that are more pure on issues like abortion or a whole range of other issues, whereas the average voter in these swing districts, swing states, wants someone more to the middle. Uh, so, these primaries are very important. Uh, Republicans think that if, if Hanks wins that, that Colorado Senate nomination, they have very little chance, next to no chance, of winning Michael Bennett's seat in Congress. But, if you have someone like O'Day, who's an outsider, who's a little more pragmatic, then that seat could very much be in play come November.
3: Yeah. Uh, Illinois, former President Trump campaigned the other day with Congresswoman Mary Miller. She's running against another Republican, Rodney Davis. They're up against each other, as as happens from time to time with their current districts redrawn. Now, Miller did this thing where she referred to the abortion decision as a victory for white life. Now, she said she meant right to life. She just misspoke any sense. This means anything for the actual election.
4: A Freudian slip there. Yeah. <laughs> not, a, not, a, not a timely one, with the election taking place on Tuesday. But, you know, this is a very conservative district. It's a redrawn district. It's going to be. A, I think this is going to be one of the closest races in the country. You've got Rodney Davis, who is a, a very well-funded, pragmatic congressman, but he did not get Trump's endorsement. And that's changed the dynamic of this race, where a freshman who's made a share of gaffes or just a really controversial statements on the campaign trail. And Mary Miller, that she's she's neck and neck with a, a member of Congress who's, who's pretty popular popular. popular in his old district, and has gotten a lot of uh, money and and resources back into Southern Illinois and Central Illinois. So This is a a race where, again, it's another contest of where the Trump effect is going to show. If if Mary Miller, as a freshman who's made these unfortunate comments, can win, uh, the Trump endorsement still does mean quite a bit, even if it's not decisive in all these contests.
3: Uh, Oklahoma, both Senate seats are up. Doesn't happen very often. Jim Inhofe is retiring, so you have both seats happen to be coming up this year. What should we know in Oklahoma?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's Oklahoma is one of the most conservative states in the country, and the primary is going to be for who's going to going to hold that seat. So you're you're literally talking about a slew of different shades of conservatives in that in that contest.
3: Bunch of Republicans with primary challenges. Um, anybody closer watching? How's Mike Senator Mike Lee in Utah? Is he going to hold?
4: Yeah, I mean I think most of the incumbents uh, in the Senate are going to be okay. I would watch there's a big primary also on Tuesday in Mississippi. Stephen Palazzo lost or finished in second place in the first round of primaries over some ethics concerns and he may end up losing that seat in the primary. Uh, you also have to obviously look later on in the in the process. You've got Liz Cheney up in August, you've got Peter Meyer up in August as well. You got a couple of Washington state members of Congress who also voted for Trump's impeachment. That's what they all have in common. As so those are going to be four more big tests of whether Trump can, you know, have a major impact in these Republican primaries.
3: Governor Kathy Hochul in New York hasn't been in the job for for too long, she got in. She was lieutenant governor last fall um, when Andrew Cuomo resigned. She's facing a bunch of Democratic Party challenges. Has anybody risen to the occasion? Do you think?
4: Well, look, the, the the party infrastructure in New York for the Democrats is still awfully strong, so she's heavily favored to win that nomination. But I'll be interested to see what percentage of the vote she gets, and and whether it's a more centrist candidate like Tom Suozzi, or, or the more left wing candidate like Jermaine Williams. Which one comes closer to Hochul? Which one comes in yeah. second place? Or, or, or if anyone of them was able to make a run for her and, and win the race, that would be even more surprising. But I, I do think that there's a battle between left and center. In Democratic politics in New York, and you know, Hogel's tried to to you to the the middle of her party, but the party has been moving far to the left over the last few years, and that's a general election to watch too. We'll find out who the Republican nominee is. Uh, a lot of folks are worried about if Andrew Giuliani, the son of Mayor Rudy Giuliani, wins that primary, that probably takes New York's governor's race off the table. But there's some more moderate candidates, or frankly, some more conservative candidates who have a chance to win that might be worth watching, like a Lee Zeldin or Harry Wilson, a businessman who spent a lot of his own money. On that race.
3: Yeah, um, Donald Trump has stayed out of that race, despite his friendship with Rudy Giuliani and presumably some sort of relationship with, with Andrew Giuliani. Congressman Lee Zeldin, uh, I guess, considered the front runner based on a resume and name recognition.
4: Yeah, I, I, I think... First of all, Z- Lee Zeldin was a big Trump ally in Congress, so he's not exactly moderate. He's a conservative Republican who who you know defended Trump during the impeachment hearings. So he's viewed more acceptable by the party establishment, even though he does have a f- fairly conservative uh, voting record. Giuliani, they don't think he's ready. A lot of Republicans in New York and elsewhere don't think he's ready for prime time. Clearly, his father's uh, episodes in, in, the, in the national spotlight have not helped him out lately. But look, there is a, a faction of the party that is with Giuliani and will vote for, for him. So it's going to be very close. It'll be very interesting to see whether uh, Republicans have a chance to win that New York governor's race, given the sour mood of a whole lot of New York voters these days.
3: Uh, last special election in Nebraska. I
4: don't know much about it. Um, what can you tell me about it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's a race that's a basically a foregone conclusion. Fortenberry uh, had a felony conviction, and, and, and Mike Flood was the consensus Republican who was expected to win handily in the special election.
3: The abortion decision is obviously the culmination of many, many years, if not decades, of Republicans, at least most Republicans, pushing for this at lower levels, concentrating on state legislatures, which are now going to be deciding um, abortion from state to state, and you know, focused on the importance of Court seats with with, with Democrats to the, to their detriment in the end. Focus more on um, national races, Capitol Hill, and the White House.
4: Yeah, I, you know I think we're, we're going to see some movement politically speaking, on abortion being a major issue on the campaign trail is in these governor's races where you have states where abortion policy could dramatically change based on who gets elected to the governorship or other statewide offices. Uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. I mean, those are the three big governor's contests on my radar screen where Democrats, despite facing a pretty rough environment, could get some traction by portraying their Republican opponents as too extreme. Uh, and Those are states where Republican legislatures and Republicans in charge of the legislatures, that could change abortion policy. It could go from legal to illegal in those battleground states. So, I, I do think there are a handful of contests, a handful of states where the abortion rights issue will be much more front and center than in other contests, especially the federal contests for the Senate of the House, where it's less of a federal issue, much more of a state statewide yeah. issue.
3: I mean, unless and less than until the United States Congress goes back and, and, and solidifies something in terms of federal abortion rights, could It become a state issue in perpetuity. Could, could abortion become legal with one administration and, and illegal with the next? Could it go back and forth? Is that
4: tenable? Look, this is the logic, the wisdom of not blowing up the filibuster in the Senate from the vantage point of Democrats. The most Democrats wanted to blow up the filibuster to make some short-term gains on Build Back Better. The reality is that if they did that, they may not have the 50 votes to codify Roe, and then you'd have the possibility in a few years of Republicans Perhaps coming close to sixty seats in and being able to actually restrict abortion rights um with, with, with that. Threshold, or they could do the same. I mean, Democrats are really playing with fire when they talk about blowing up the filibuster, even though it feels good in the moment. Because there's more of a risk in Congress that Republicans could take charge in November and try to restrict abortion. And having that 60-vote threshold, at least in the Senate, is an important bulwark for Democrats to not have any federal legislation that that could restrict abortion rights even more so than the, than they, they are right now.
3: Uh, Josh. Kraussar, uh, Fox News Radio political analyst, Against the
4: Grain column uh, at National Journal, moving on to Axios soon, right? Uh, that's right. Heading to serve as the senior political correspondent for Axios. I'll also be the, the Against the Grain newsletter, is going to become a, a new newsletter, uh, which I'll have more to talk about uh, come next month.
3: Okay. Well, I hope you'll still come back and talk to us. Thanks, Josh. Thanks a lot.
5: the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of fox in your hands with the fox weather podcast precise personal powerful subscribe and listen now at Foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts rate and review the fox news rundown on apple podcasts or wherever you listen
0: it's time for your fox news commentary mark teeson mark teeson What's on your mind? Overturning
1: Roe v. Wade has been the overarching, seemingly impossible goal of the pro-life movement for almost five decades. Now that it has been finally achieved, four words should be on the lips of every pro-life conservative today. Thank you, Donald Trump. Looking back on Trump's chaotic presidency, some understandably ask, was it worth it for just a few conservative justices? To which I answer yes, a thousand times yes. Every Republican president before Trump failed miserably when it came to Supreme Court picks. In 1970, Richard Nixon nominated Harry Blackmun, who would go on to be the ignominious author of Roe. Gerald Ford picked only one justice, John Paul Stevens, who became the leader of the court's liberal bloc. Ronald Reagan had three appointees, Sandra Day O'Connor, Antonin Scalia, and Anthony Kennedy. But only Scalia was a consistent conservative vote on the court. George H.W. Bush named one brilliant conservative, Clarence Thomas, and one catastrophic liberal, David Souter. George W. Bush selected Samuel Alito, a marvelous conservative intellect who wrote the decision overturning Roe. But Bush also gave us John G. Roberts, who promised to be an impartial umpire, but instead has repeatedly legislated from the bench siding with the court's liberal bloc on a string of cases, including saving Obamacare, preserving the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, and striking down state laws that required hospitals to extend admitting privileges for doctors who perform abortions. But Trump broke the mold. His nominations of Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett have made him the only Republican president in six decades to have a perfect record in appointing judicial conservatives. His picks have transformed the court, with Gorsuch, he saved its conservative majority. With Kavanaugh, he moved the court to the right by replacing a swing vote, Kennedy. And with Barrett, he gave the conservative bloc the five votes they need to prevail without the vacillating Chief Justice. Democrats have a virtually perfect record in appointments; their justices never defect the conservative bloc in important cases. Not so for Republicans until Trump. With his picks, Trump batted a thousand, and his perfect record will transform the court's jurisprudence for a generation with far reaching consequences, not only for unborn life, but also for religious liberty, free speech, Second Amendment rights, the separation of powers and limited government. Trump not only gave us a conservative court majority, he also saved us from an activist liberal majority. Had Hillary Clinton won the 2016 presidential election, she would have nominated a judicial activist to replace Scalia, creating a five to four liberal majority. Then she would have replaced Ruth Bader Ginsburg and perhaps Stephen G. Breyer securing those seats for the liberal bloc for decades. Not only would Rose still be standing today, but the activist liberal court that Clinton would have ushered in would have done breathtaking damage. It is thanks to Trump that this never happened. This doesn't forgive Trump's behavior after the 2020 election, but am I grateful for Trump's four years in office? You bet I am. Millions of precious unborn lives will be saved as a result of this decision, and Trump made it possible. I hope he doesn't run again in 2024, but I'm sure glad he ran and won in 2016. Whatever else history says about him, he secured his place as the most consequential American president when it comes to the Supreme Court and our greatest pro-life president as well. I'm Mark Thiessen.
5: You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast.
0: Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.